0: Welcome in. It's the Magic Weekly Podcast, Monday, March 2nd. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. Magic with a 3-1 week last week. Almost got to 4-0 And Evan Fournier. Layup that goes begging at the Horn on Saturday in San Antonio. Robbed the Magic of a chance at a perfect 4-0 week. But it was a pretty good one and a tough one at that. I mean, you think about that game in San Antonio on Saturday night. That was the Magic's fourth game in six nights. Uh, You started the week off with a 115-113 win against the Brooklyn Nets. uh, In Brooklyn, a game, obviously, as you're jockeying with the Nets for the 7th seed in the Eastern Conference, that was a huge game. We're going to see Brooklyn twice more at the end of the month of March. So uh, certainly that battle far from done, but as we sit today on March 2nd, the Magic a half game up on the Brooklyn Nets for that 7th seed in the Eastern Conference, and largely because of that win you got a week ago, Monday night in Brooklyn, 115-113, the final score. Uh, Aaron Gordon, phenomenal, and he's been phenomenal over the course of of the last five or six games. He had an off game on Saturday in San Antonio. But as far as that Monday game against Brooklyn goes, he had 27 points, 10 rebounds, had four assists, and a game-saving block shot on Karis LeVert with about 10 seconds left. So, look, Brooklyn, not quite the competition as a team like Los Angeles or some of the other big wins of the season for the Magic. But when you think about coming down the stretch here, I mean, we're talking about 22 games remaining. And that win in Brooklyn on Monday night – Really got the Magic's week sort of started off properly. Uh, So that was a big one there. And then you took care of business Uh, on Wednesday against Atlanta. You hang 130 points. Friday night back here at Amway Center, you hang 136 points on the Minnesota Timberwolves. And you just come up short on Saturday night. Second half of a back-to-back. Fourth game in six nights. And I thought it was a gutty effort against the San Antonio Spurs Uh, you allowed 38 first quarter points that's really the story of that game because the Magic did a great job of hanging in there and sort of scrapping back uh, carried by Evan Fournier and Terrence Ross offensively and to be in that game in the fourth quarter I think that was a little bit of a win right there but a couple things that you just can't have happen you can't give 38 points up in the first quarter and be down 11 after one out on the road that's going to be really difficult and the Spurs just shot lights out I mean they shot 52% from The field, 45% from three-point range. The Magic's defense just wasn't quite as tight as it needed to be that night. And then, look, the other thing that I thought was, yeah, you give up seven points at the free throw line. You shoot 69.6%, 16 of 23 at the stripe. And Aaron Gordon was a big culprit as far as that went. He was three of eight at the stripe in a game like that, a tight game like that. You're talking about every game matters so much coming down the stretch here as you're as you're battling for playoff positioning. Uh, you can't leave seven points at the line out on the road in a game that ended up being a one-point game. But the Magic defense did a great job late of, of trapping the ball out of Bryn Forbes' hands, forcing the turnover in the closing seconds. Evan Fournier gets out uh, on the break, and, you know, the Spurs ran with him, and Rudy Gay sort of, um, I think it made it a little awkward for Evan. He had to turn a little bit, but Evan will be the first one to tell you, and he said after the game on Saturday – That's a layup. I got to make that shot. So he took responsibility for it. Uh, And look, you take the L and you move on. But the Magic right now, 27 and 33, and this will be a difficult week for him, certainly, um, headed out on the road again. I mean, you get the Portland Trailblazers in tonight, and that's going to be... We're going to talk to Casey Holdall here in a minute. Portland's in a weird spot right now. They're on the outside looking in as far as the Western Conference goes, uh, Western Conference playoff race goes. They're still without Damian Lillard. They were hoping to get use of Nurkic back at some point sooner than later, and they have not done that yet. Uh, Damian will be back probably before the end of the week. There was talk that he may join the team, uh, and and be in Orlando for this game tonight. He decided to skip out on that. This is the last game. It was only a three-game road trip for them. So this is the last game of that trip. They'll be back in Portland uh, by early tomorrow. So I would expect to see Dame back by the end of the week. But this is a Portland team that's really limping right now. They've lost 6 of 7 as they head into this one tonight. So the Magic, you know, should be able... To get a W tonight, not if they take them lightly, and not if they let CJ McCollum go off for 35 or 40 points. Um, but this is a game, you know. It's a it's a little bit of a wounded duck these Portland Trailblazers. So very winnable game here tonight uh, if you're the Magic, and then you head out on the road for a four game road trip. Could be a lot tougher, right? You don't have back to back sets um, during this four game roadie, but you got a couple tough teams. You got to go to Miami on Wednesday. That's going to be a really difficult game. Miami's been lights out at home. Then you get a little bit of a break against Minnesota, but it's up in Minnesota, and as we know, that team can score a whole lot of points. So you're gonna have to mind your p's and q's for that one. And then the end of the road trip is gonna be tough. Uh, next Sunday in Houston, and the Houston Rockets have been absolutely lights out uh, since making all those moves at the deadline. Going small ball, Russell Westbrook has been balling right now. So that's gonna be a really difficult game next Sunday in Houston. And then next Tuesday, a week from tomorrow. You wrap up this four-game roadie with the Memphis Grizzlies, who have also been playing really good basketball right now. As of now, they're your eight seed in the Western Conference. So uh, three of these four matchups on this four-game roadie, kind of difficult games, but certainly winnable games. And you want to get this one here tonight before you head out on the road tomorrow. That would be key if you can get this W tonight against the Portland Trailblazers. They've lost six of seven, still waiting for... Damian Lillard to make his return. There was talk that maybe he would meet the team in Orlando, but he will be out tonight. And uh, for that and some more information on this team, we bring in Casey Holdall. Does a phenomenal job. You can follow him on Twitter. It's at C-H-O-L-D. C Hold on Twitter. He's a beat reporter for the Portland Trailblazers. And he joins me this week here on Magic Weekly. Casey, how are you? Thanks for taking a couple minutes, man. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, Jake. Happy to be here, yeah, uh, I my stop in Orlando,
0: yeah, for sure tell me about uh tell me about Dame's return, I guess I mean people assume it'll be sooner than uh sooner than later, but it look time's running out, Casey I mean, obviously in a fight for that final playoff spot in the Western Conference, is there any sort of an indication that he's close uh
1: my understanding is that he is close now, having not been in Portland for almost a week now. And, and I mean, I, I keep in pretty close contact with Damien, but, you know, I'm trying not to trying not to pester him on every single test message because I know he's got a lot of people curious about when he's coming back. But my expectation is that he will be back and, and playing by the Wizards game, which is the first game back after this road trip. Uh, but his thing, too, is he did, he's he's been really adamant that he doesn't want to have to, like, work himself back, in. he wants to get back into the game and basically pick up right where he left off before that growing injury. So, you know, he's been going through multiple workouts per day. He says he's feeling good. Um, You assume once the team gets back uh, tonight, or uh, at least by Wednesday, that he'll get reevaluated. My expectation that he will play in that game, but it's certainly not yet been decided. Um, But, you know, with, with any kind of soft tissue injury, you know, you always have to really kind of play it safe. And particularly, uh, I think, you know, we're seeing right now that without Damien on this team, it's uh, it's pretty rough sledding for the trailblazers. So, you know, if they're going to have any chance of, of maybe getting this thing moving back in the right direction and potentially, you know, getting back to the postseason for the seventh straight year, they're going to need Damien healthy. And, you know, part of that is making sure that that, that right growing is ready to grow because if it goes like again, another, another time, basically that's, that's it for the season. And, you know, again, with the blazers without Damian Lillard are, uh, are much less, much less of a dangerous opponent than they are with him on the court.
0: What about Yusuf Nurkic? Uh, I think, is is hope eroding that he'll be back this season during the regular season, or is there still a sense that he's going to be able to make it back before uh, potentially the postseason?
1: You know, I I think it really depends on who you talk to and and which day you catch that person on. You know, I think the the expectation was that Yusuf was going to come back sometime soon after the All-Star break. He did have a bit of a setback with a a, uh, calf strain that he suffered when he was doing his rehabilitation when he had got back onto the court. And, you know, when you have a a serious injury, they're not so much concerned about the leg at this point. Obviously, uh, you know, typically leg breaks in terms of, of returning are not that, big of a deal there's not really all that much of a concern that it could break again what the concern is is that he's going to be compensating for having not used that leg for so long that other injuries are going to are going to come and so when he had that that calf strain I, i think the idea was like well all right this is kind of the the first injury that he's getting from being kind of on the shelf for so long so now we really need to pull it back and take it really slow so you know Again, I'm I'm the same way. Do I think that Yusuf is going to play at some point this season? Yes, I do. Would I be surprised if he didn't? Not not at all. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Blazers have a have a stretch of I believe it, I think they play seven of their next six at home. Uh, you know, there, there's been talk that until Yusuf really gets a chance to to get out there and practice consistently with the team, which uh, as you know, you know, during the NBA season, it's, it can be hard for the team to get together to actually have practices when you're having games and particularly at this point in the season. So uh, the the hope is that I, I think when the team gets back that maybe another week, maybe two weeks that he might be able to get back out there. But I, I also think that, you know, he's one. One small tweak away from probably them just saying, you know what, it's not going to happen this year. We'll just pick back up in two thousand twenty twenty one. So I'd say it's a real coin flip at this point whether or not Yusuf plays it this year.
0: With the run last year, we're talking to Casey Holdall, he covers the uh, the uh, Portland Trail Blazers beat reporter, and. It- with, with the with the surge last year and the I, I guess you guys exceeded expectations last season. I would think so. I mean everybody knew it was a good yeah, team. I'm not sure. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't know if people expected a West Western Conference uh, finals run, but I, I I think people um were a little bit surprised in the postseason, and then obviously, uh very elevated expectations headed into this year. Is it as simple, Casey, as to say? Yusuf Nurkic, uh Zach Collins, and then, you know, injuries over the course of a season like what we're doing with with Dame right now. Is that the story of the season? Is that how you end up at twenty six and thirty five at this point, or have other things gone wrong?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I would say seventy five percent of it has been injuries. Um yeah, you you mentioned Yusuf. On one hand, you don't really even count Nurkic in some respects because you knew he was gonna be out for right. at least the majority of the season, if not longer. That was not the expectation for Zach Collins. Uh, this was supposed to be a big year for Zach. He goes and dislocates his shoulder in the third game of the season and hasn't played since. And, you know, that, that was a really hard injury for the Blazers because, you know, they kind of cleared the deck of the other forwards on the team because the expectation was that Zach Collins was going to be the guy at power forward going forward. So, as you know, they didn't resign in Al They traded away Mo Harkless. They traded away Jake Lehman. Uh, they traded away Evan Turner, and basically that was the entire forward rotation for the Portland Trailblazers for the last three or four seasons. So you have all that attrition, and then you have the guy who's supposed to come in and replace all those guys get injured in the third game of the season. And so, you know, part of that is injury. Part of it is just the construction of the roster, uh, maybe not what you had hoped it would be, and particularly not being able to to make up for that kind of injury. Signing Pau Gasol and then him not being able to play this season, I think that was another issue as well. So, I mean, all of those things are issue re- or injury-related, but you could also make an argument, too, that, like, hey, maybe they should have kept maybe one of those other forwards on the team in case something happened to that Collins. Maybe letting Seth Curry walk and expecting Anthony Simons, who, you know, they're very high on but just really hadn't played a whole lot last season, expecting him to step in to the role that Seth Curry filled last year, maybe a, a bit too much of an ask for, for a guy at this point in Anthony Simon's career. So, you know, again, while I think it's the vast majority of it has been injuries, why particularly why they've been as bad as they've been, uh, I, I don't, you can't just pin it all on injuries. I mean, you know, they, they didn't lose to the Atlanta Hawks the other night because they didn't have enough talent to win that game. They didn't beat the Atlanta Hawks because the Blazers have, you know, one of the worst-ranked defenses in the NBA this year. And, again, that also somewhat goes back to injuries, but – You know, end of the day, every team has injuries, and you have to learn how to get through a season. And some teams have more injuries than others, and it makes it more difficult. But, you know, what you're judged upon is the result on the court. And so far this season, the Blazers just haven't got a whole lot of results.
0: Casey, if if that's the case, right, like, I I, I think – I think it's interesting because it's there's sort of this transition period, right? Like Anthony Simons is a is a player, a young player that a lot of people are probably very excited about. I think we've seen flashes, or I think you guys probably have, uh, from Nasir Little, and then you're going to get Collins back, and so you have this young talent in place that might not be ready just yet to support Damian Lillard uh, and CJ McCollum in a deep playoff run, but you have some some young talent that I'm sure people are excited about. If this is a lost season, if if you guys end up missing out in the postseason, Nurk doesn't necessarily come back, or he does come back and he's not necessarily effective uh, right away, which which is to be expected. Do you just play it back next year? I mean, so many people approaching the trade deadline are saying, "Oh, they got to trade CJ, and they got to package all the kids for Kevin Love, or, or or do whatever, make some big drastic move." Do you get the sense that there's patience within the organization that look, we had some injuries we had to deal with this year, we've got a great core in place, we're not going to blow this thing up just because because it didn't go the way it did last year this season when we had to deal with a lot of these injuries.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, and the Blazers are a team that it's kind of funny, actually. So when they got swept by the Pelicans two playoffs ago, everyone was like, okay, this team is not it. Blow this thing up. Damien and CJ can't coexist together. This roster is not going to make it. This It's not going to happen with, the, with this roster. They come back the next year, and as you mentioned, they make the Western Conference Finals. After making the Western Conference Finals, they let a whole lot of people go. Right. (laughs) Because the idea was like, well, this is where this team is going in the long term. And while we did have success with those guys, we feel like we need to move on from that group. So it's kind of interesting that in, in the season where they had the most success, they actually had the most turnover because of the kind of the way some of those contracts were structured, chances to, to maybe bring in some talent uh, on larger expiring contracts. I think they were hopeful they'd be able to trade. It didn't really turn out that way. Uh, to get to kind of your, your main question, I do think they're going to run it back because I, the idea of a lineup of Yusuf Nurkic – Zach Collins, Damian Lillard, D.J. McCollum. And it's looking at this point like it's probably going to be Trevor Ariza going into next year playing at the three. I mean, I, I do think they want to see what that team can do with Anthony with another year under his belt, with Nasir having gotten some playing time, with Gary Trent actually coming on and playing better uh, than I think they expected him to at this point in his career. I do think they're going to run it back. And, you know, if they, if they do well, going into next season, I think that they probably keep that team going forward. If they get off to a to a tough start, if it's something similar to this season with all those guys in the lineup, which, you know, we have seen from time to time in Portland, then at that point I think maybe they they do some reevaluation at the at the trade deadline. At that point, maybe figure out if, if there's a different direction to go. But my my expectation is they are going to run it back because Neil Shea is super high on Zach Collins. He's obviously super high on the pairing of Damian Lillard and TJ we call him. and you know Yusuf Nurkic is in the I think he's going into the second or third year of a very team-friendly contract so it, it's he's a guy too where I mean obviously he's got a lot of talent and it's it's at a at a number to where it's not really sinking the team it, it's basically he's outperforming his, his contract you would assume if he gets anywhere close to where he was before that injury, which you know is, is not a given but I, I think that's the hope so yeah I, w- I would expect that you're going to see a very similar team next year. The team that they were hoping you were going to be able to see at the end of the season this year will be the team you see at the beginning of the season next year.
0: We tell me about the Damian-CJ relationship? It's funny to me that people think that because they're both, you know, capable probably of being alpha offensive players, that they can't coexist. You look around the league and you look at personalities – um, of guys, I mean, those two guys seem like they're about as easygoing and easy to get along with. And that's not to say that neither of them want to win and they're not you know killers out there on the floor. But, it, I mean, you come up a little short in the Western Conference finals uh, and midway through the next season with injuries, people are going, uh, yeah, they're, they're too short. It's, it's too short a backcourt to coexist. People, wonder, people have been aching to break that backcourt up for years. And I'm going, if I'm Portland, I'm holding on to those two guys until one of them insists uh, their way out of there. And it doesn't seem like that's ever going to happen. It seems like they get along pretty well together.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, from a from a personality and interpersonal perspective, like, there there is no issue whatsoever with Damien and TJ. They're very close. They're they're both kind of from similar backgrounds in terms of kind of how they made the league, both from small schools, both guys who really kind of had to carry the load in their, on their college teams, uh, really, really know each other. Their families know each other. They're very close. Like, the the personal part is, like, that that's that's not even an issue i mean and and a lot of that has to do with damien as well i mean obviously he's he's the all-star so i think it's maybe a little bit easier but damien just doesn't though, he just doesn't concern himself much with the idea of who's getting credit for for what you know like that 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 part's off the table now if you want to talk about kind of their skills and and that's kind of what the argument would be i i think the, the valid argument is that there there's some overlap between what each one of those guys does and at the numbers that they're they're making, is that the best use of of that space? And I, I think when you're when you're as good as, as players as Damian and CJ are, I, I think it is. And you're exactly right, though. It's you know it's one of those situations where I don't know if it's just because we're in Portland, so people don't pay maybe as close attention, or or if it's just that once kind of something gets gets talked about, it, it just always kind of goes back up. But basically, anytime the Blazers have any issue whatsoever. It doesn't have to have anything to do with Damien and CJ. The national conversation always goes back to, well, boy, might might need to break up that backcourt. Up to and including right now when Damien is not playing, CJ's been playing pretty well. And then there are people who are saying, well, see what CJ could do if he had his own team. I mean, is is it really smart to keep those two guys together? So even when CJ plays well, people still try to break it up. So, you know, Neil O'Shea is – I mean, he loves both those guys. They're not getting traded anywhere. So for someone who works with the team and knows that, in some respects, like I just kind of I don't even really pay a whole lot of attention to it anymore. But you would think that after you know getting to the Western Conference Finals in a series two versus the Denver Nuggets, where CJ played an incredibly important role, Damian actually struggled quite a bit in that series. If people recall, I mean, a lot of it being the the attention that he draws. But CJ was the one that made the difference in that series. You know, he had that block, you know, late in Game 7 that basically gave the Blazers a chance to win that one. So, you know, I, I think the organization is very comfortable with having both those guys as they starting backcourt until, as you mentioned, until basically the wheels fall off. And as far as everyone else, you know, they, I mean, we've heard all of it before, so I don't think anyone really takes offense to it anymore. It's just one of those things where it's like, yep, you know, we, you're going to hear that. Damien and CJ can't play together and so on and so forth. And, you know, you either you either get bothered by it on a day-in and day-out basis or you just kind of put it behind you and uh, and look at the quality on the court. So, yeah, I those two guys are going to be playing together in Portland for, for some time, if I'm, not, uh,
0: if I'm not mistaken. Casey, hold on, my guess. Just a couple more for you. Um, I got to ask you about Hassan Whiteside. He is certainly an intriguing player. Would you say he's – is he overrated or underrated at this point? Because – I, I guess it's on a night-to-night basis. The guy is absolutely capable of wrecking a team's offensive game plan. But then on the flip side, we, you know, we here in Orlando very familiar uh, with Hassan and some of the, um, I guess, extracurricular activities that he can bring to a locker room uh, and to a game on a night-to-night basis. What's it been like having Hassan in?
1: I, uh, to answer your first question, I think Hassan is perfectly rated. I, I think <laughs> that on some nights... He is a defensive force that can completely change the complexion of a game. I think on some other nights, you know, he's maybe a little too focused on, on maybe the statistical parts and not so much on the on the team defense part. So I think there's I, I, I think that both of those both those points are completely valid and true and again I, I think like like any other human being, there's things that Hassan does well on the night-to-night basis and things that, you know, he he slips on from time to time. So I would say, though, at least in terms of his locker room presence, and I don't know if it's just because it's only been, you know, nine months or if it's because he's a contract year, but, like, that for me has not been an issue at all. Like, I, I haven't heard about guys complaining about Hassan, you know, being too goofy or, or not kind of putting forth the effort or the interest that they would want to see I, again, I think the complaints about Hassan are that you know sometimes the the chasing of blocks and, and some of those statistics, which do help you win games, maybe sometimes just goes a little bit too far to the level where it's it's an issue in terms of the team defense. So when when Hassan is is playing well and is engaged and you know when when he's able to run the pick and roll with Damian, there was a stretch for about two weeks. Uh, I believe in January was it, he played phenomenally well, like so, so well that you really started started to think like, Hey, maybe this thing is coming together a little bit here. And, you know, it has some drop off. And I think that would be kind of the one of the complaints about Hassan is that the consistency is maybe just not there. And, you know, that's, I I think there's, there's some truth to that. So, but, you know, with Hassan, it's, it's like any other player where, you know, the, organizations are responsible for how players play as well and so while the majority of that is on the player himself I think you also have to look at each organization and ask if they're putting a guy in the best position to be successful and again that falls on the player primarily but it's it's also incumbent upon the organization to make sure that, that you're best utilizing a guy and best getting something out of him. that's what coaching is about that's what you know putting your roster as a front office is about and I think that uh, Hassan, while he he has some faults, I, I think in general, if the players didn't have Hassan Whiteside this season, they'd be in a whole lot worse shape than they are now.
0: Last one, Casey. Can you just give me? Uh, we're all we all got. You know, we're keeping one eye on Anthony Simon specifically, and a little less so. Uh, Nasir Little, we both have Central Florida ties here. Give us a little thumbnail, I guess, uh, scouting report on Anthony where he's at right now, and then I know Nasir has been kind of in and out of the rotation. Um, I, I, I know they have bright futures and, and, and big plans for both of them up there in Portland. But just where are both of those guys, as far as their development go?
1: Yeah, Anthony. You know, a, a decent season for Anthony. A, a bit up and down, as as you would expect for a 20 year old who, again, is really playing his first real NBA basketball. I mean, he had that the the finale that basically kind of chain. We joke with Anthony sometimes because the the way that he played in the Portland's last game versus the Kings last year, they actually got them into the third seed. They got them the matchup with the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know, we kind of tease and from time to time that, you know, if he not for that game, the West, West Westbrook would still potentially be in Oklahoma City and how much of all that stuff that happened had to do with Anthony just having a phenomenal game in, in some respects a, a meaningless game versus the Kings. So, uh, again, with Anthony, they are incredibly high on, on his talents and his work ethic, and a, a great kid, a great person, actually. I, I, won't, even, I won't even call him a kid. He, he is a, a very good person, uh, and he's playing well. Uh, again, I, I think that you know, learning how to be a point guard is, is still a, a work in progress. I, I think the injuries have affected Anthony in that the the caliber of player that he was expecting or was expected to play in in that second unit has not really been the caliber of player that he's ended up playing with, and I, I think it's made that hard for for him as a as a twenty year old to to not maybe have some of the the talent the veteran talent around him. Uh, that was the plan, at least, in that second unit. But I, I think he's, he's done a, a fine job. Uh, I think defensively he's making progress. I think his shot is great. I'd like to see him put the ball on the floor a little bit more. Um, but, I, again, those are those are things that come with confidence and with with getting his body to a point where – uh, he he's able to take some of that physical contact. He's had a few minor injury issues. Uh, he rolled that ankle. I do think he is going to play tonight. Uh, he had a concussion earlier in the season. So, um, you know, it, maybe not the season that, that Anthony would have hoped for, but I definitely think definite positive signs about his maturation going forward. Uh, as far as Nasir is concerned, I think overwhelmingly positive as well. To, to be perfectly honest, coming into this season, Nasir wasn't supposed to play uh and we were basically almost told that straight up that you know unless you know situationally it's unlikely nasir little is going to get a whole lot of opportunity to to get to the rotation and with with injuries and and some of the improvements that he's made, you know he he has worked his way into to seeing some minutes from time to time and and for nasir, you know we talked about this on uh on our podcast a, a couple weeks ago you know nasir's a guy who particularly with his shot, you can see the improvement. On a week-to-week basis, you know he's kind of restructured the way that he shoots. Um, his, I mean, he's playing in the NBA and particularly if you're going to be a three in the NBA, you have to be able to hit the corner three at bare minimum at a pretty decent clip, and that's something he's been working on. I, I think the energy that Nasir brings, his, his feel for the game. I think as soon as kind of they re- refine some of the. The, his elements offensively and also kind of get him up to speed about reacting to NBA defenses. I, I think he's gonna be a guy going forward for a long time. And I mean just to give you a little insight too, like they did not expect Nasir Little to be available when they selected at I believe it was twenty five or twenty two or whichever spot it was in the last draft. And they hadn't they had options to actually make some deals that they didn't make because Nasir was available. Mm. So I mean he's a guy who who they had looked at and and liked didn't think they would probably have a chance to get him. When that opportunity opened up, they actually turned down some other opportunities so they could draft this year. So they're, they're high on him. They, I think they view him as a piece going forward. Uh, but I also think they view it as, as more of a two- to three-year process, which is what the Blazers have pretty much done with a lot of their young players outside of Anfernee. Typically what they do is they bring guys in. First season, second season. First season, don't play much. Second season, spot minutes. Third season's where they really kind of take off. They've done that. Multiple guys. CJ McCollum was like that. Alan Crabb was like that. Uh, And with Anthony, they kind of sped that up a bit. I think they're probably going to take it a little bit slower than year. Let him build his confidence up a bit and then kind of unleash him. So I, both two guys who I would expect to be in Portland for uh, for some time, and both two guys I know that the organization is very happy with.
0: Casey, excellent stuff. We really appreciate it. He's Casey Holdall. You can follow him on Twitter. It's at c hold uh, C-H-O-L-D, beat reporter for the Blazers, for NBA.com. Thanks, man. Have a safe trip back. We'll catch up down the road, okay? Take care. Thank you. All right. There he is, Casey Holdall. Jake Chapman here with you. It's the Magic Weekly Podcast.